Welcome to Ask a Wavefinder, an advice and mindfulness podcast for all those who are seeking, those who are stuck, and everyone in between. I'm your host, Dana Wheelis. I'm a meditation teacher and life coach in Central Virginia, and I'm here with a question about relationships today. A teacher of mine once told me that relationships are the hospital of the soul, and I've come to see the deep wisdom in that. Relationships are where we have the most conflict and tension in our lives, and they're also the most rewarding and joyous aspects of our time on earth. We learn a lot about ourselves through our relationships, assuming we're paying attention, of course. From our family of origin to friends and romantic partners, people show us where we still need to heal and... When the relationships are healthy ones, they also give us the safe space we need to do that healing work. Today's question is a deeply philosophical one, and I expect it will prompt even more questions from listeners like you. I'm tackling it on this episode because it raises some interesting ideas about how relationships shed light on our inner work and our personal growth that I think are helpful. But I also want to address some possible misconceptions that come up around this topic. When we get too far into the realms of the ideal and the spiritual, we can lose touch with the realities of life in this moment right now, today. That's one of the great challenges of being a person. We are always striving to find a balance between the real and the ideal. So I want to take a moment here for just a little interjection And to say that my production of this episode began about a week ago, and since then, more of the world's ugly truths have been revealed. After the deaths of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd, many of us are stuck in between a need to take to the streets to protest injustice and a very real need to stay safe while a global pandemic rages. I thought very hard about whether to publish this episode on schedule today, because I feel strongly that it's important for white people like me to step back and lift up the voices of the disenfranchised. If you go to Ask a Wayfinder on Instagram, you'll see I've already posted links to two accounts that I highly recommend following, Layla F. Saad and Ibram X. Kendi both of whom have books with information and resources that we need to have to to help eliminate white supremacy. And Layla Saad's Good Ancestor podcast is one of my all-time favorites, and if you're not already a subscriber, I hope you'll check it out. In the end, I decided to send out this episode to you today because, in a weird way, I felt like the letter was timely, And the meditation exercise that goes with it, well, together, I think they're well-suited to the issues we face today. So, okay, let's get to our question. This comes from Martin in Chicago, who called in to leave a voice message. Thank you, Martin. He asks, Dear Wayfinder, I'm calling because I have a firm belief that all relationship is a reflection of the one that you have with yourself. So when you're having a relationship with someone else, it's always cycling yourself back to you. And when you're trying to have a conscious relationship with someone, whether it's romantic or a friendship or what have you, 
or even just transactional, like at a grocery store or something, how do you understand what's mine versus what's theirs? What are they projecting? And what is mine to take home to actually work on for myself? Or how do I know what I can let go of? Thanks again for calling in, Martin. So this is a concept from Buddhist philosophy that's also widespread in spiritual psychology. If we are suffering in our outer world, in our jobs, in our relationships, in our interactions with others, then we must look inside to how we are suffering within. I remember being at a conference several years ago led by Martha Beck, who was one of the first people to call herself a life coach. And on that day, she was taking questions from the audience. Uh, This would have happened around 2016, right when the American news cycle around the presidential election was growing particularly frenzied. Of course, what we didn't know then is what we know now. The frenzy, it's here to stay. But to go back to that day, the woman at the microphone asked Martha, how to handle the stress of trying to stay informed. She explained how she wanted to be a force for good in the world and to make it a better place, but the news cycle was draining her, and she didn't even know where to start. Martha Beck answered her question with another question. She asked the woman, What do you want to do today? What is your deepest wish for this day? And the woman was quiet. You could tell she wasn't sure where this was going and couldn't figure out the right thing to say. And so after a few moments of quiet and awkward shifting in the audience, she said, I want to go hiking. There's a trail not far from here that I want to see before I have to fly home. And Martha said, this is how you save the world. You go for a hike today. You find peace inside of you. And that peace will radiate outward, and it will make the world a better place. We're all conditioned to believe that the world can only change through great acts of daring and selfless service. And don't get me wrong, those are definitely important. But taking time to make sure we can find inner peace, inner clarity, and inner strength, that's just as important. It's not selfish, it's essential. From Thich Nhat Hanh to Nelson Mandela, we've heard the message over and over again. If you want to find peace, start with yourself. So to bring this concept into the current state of affairs in the U.S., I know a lot of white people who are waking up to a world of injustice that they couldn't fathom that they did not want to believe was true. Many wanted to take action immediately. They want to stand up and they want to change it. And I salute you, each and every one. But perhaps what you're hearing and what you're being told to do is actually way less cathartic. You're being told, educate yourself. Do your own work first. Be prepared to mess up to experience the anger of marginalized people. To be a true ally, it's essential that you are fully grounded in the mission and willing to follow the lead of others. 
root out the white supremacy in you so that you don't inadvertently bring it into the movement. And learn to sit with your emotions so that you are resilient enough to make amends when you do mess up. So what does this have to do with our more intimate relationships? Well, they provide the most helpful, most intimate tool for showing us who we are. Just like a mirror reflects an image of our physical features, our relationships reflect our inner world back to us. How we respond to others is often how we respond to ourselves. What we hate about other people is usually the very thing that we have denied and rejected within ourselves. People trigger us because they show us the things we need to heal within ourselves. This perspective on the world and on the people in our lives can be very helpful because it gives us a sense of agency in our lives. When we feel like the world is just coming at us and we are just reacting to other people's treatment of us, there is a hopelessness to life. We feel victimized by the awful stuff that life can bring to us. People do horrible things to each other. None of us will be spared from loss or illness or some other form of injustice in our lives. But when we look at the pain others may cause us and ask, how can I heal this within myself? Well, then we have tools. We feel like we have a path forward. We don't get stuck in the hurt. We let ourselves feel it and we use it to make ourselves more resilient, more kind, and more compassionate. So let's break it down to a more concrete, mundane example. Me. I have a tendency toward perfectionism. Nowadays, I refer to myself as a recovering perfectionist. I'll probably never be free of the impulse, but I do my best to check myself and to name it before I let it take over. Perfectionism is like armor to protect us against criticism. The idea goes that if I think of every angle, if I make something high quality enough, if I obsess over every detail before I show it to anyone, then I can rest in the belief that no one will be able to criticize it harshly. I'll think of everything first so they can't get to me. I think we can all safely say that this belief is based in some deeply flawed logic. But sometimes it works. It works often enough to keep a perfectionist doing their thing or not doing their thing and saving themselves from criticism by never putting anything out there at all. So now that you know this about me, let's say I'm out in the world and I encounter a deeply critical person. Maybe it's something as small as she thinks I cut in line in front of her at the grocery store. She lets me have it. She tells me off and I leave the store fuming. I am pissed off and I can't let it go, even hours later. Objectively, it was a crappy situation. It's likely that she overreacted and was out of line for being so loud and critical of me. If all people were their best selves, then that would not have happened. But 
I have a choice in how to proceed. I can be hurt and angry at this woman and continue to get worked up every time I think about how mean she was to me. Or I can look within and I can ask myself, why is this bothering me so much? If I'm being honest, this stranger is merely reflecting back to me my own inner critic, who is still telling me that if I were better, more thoughtful, more perfect, then that situation would never have happened. I would have been completely insulated from hurt. And so, to me, it feels like somehow I've failed. That woman, she's gone home. She's going about her day. And I'm still here, beating myself up in her name. I fear criticism from others because I am my own worst critic. I am merely afraid that someone will say back to me the things I say to myself, because then that might make them true. Whew. Okay, so now I have some work to do. I find the mean, critical voice inside of me, and I learn to take the sting out of her words. I learn to find my value in my being, not in my doing. So if a stranger in a grocery store can show me something so powerful about my inner world, then just imagine how exponential the effect can be in your intimate relationships. The people who know you best are the people who are going to reflect back to you the things you want to hide about yourself. (laughs) Sometimes this is actually a wonderful experience. Uh, In a romantic relationship, you may feel loved for something you've always had trouble accepting in yourself. But sometimes we enter into relationships with people from a place of woundedness. Let's say you pride yourself on being logical and rational, and yet you keep finding yourself in relationships with people who are volatile and emotional. This causes you a great deal of suffering. Why does this keep happening? My question for you is, where is the volatile and emotional part of you? How do you care for it? How do you tend it? What relationship do you have with your emotions? Until you can find harmony with this part of you, the world will just keep reflecting that conflict in your outer world right back at you. To get back to Martin's question, if this is true, then how do we know what's ours and what's theirs in our relationships? How do we know what an issue is something we need to heal within ourselves and when it's an indication of actual incompatibility? The short answer to this question is this. If it causes you to suffer, it's an issue you need to work on within yourself. The relationship is there to show you where your healing needs to be done. In conscious, secure-functioning relationships, there is a commitment by each person to doing their own work and supporting the other person and theirs. This is a beautiful, powerful thing, and when people have space to do their deepest work in this way, amazing healing is possible. Just read the work of researchers John and Julie Gottman and Stan Tatkin, to learn more about how our intimate relationships force us to face our most painful wounds and give us a platform for healing them. 
Couples can face tragedy and infidelity and still find a loving way forward if they are committed to seeing how the issues in the relationship are actually pointing to work they need to do in themselves. But this is where I'm going to slap a big old butt on this. But that fact does not mean that all the relationships are meant to continue. Not all relationships are built on such a foundation. And even some conscious, loving relationships are not meant to last forever. For some of us, there can be a tendency to lose ourselves in the philosophy here. And to forget that we must also take into account the reality of the day-to-day. Just because relationships are a tool for learning where you need to do your own inner work does not mean that you have to sign up for constant pain and turmoil to achieve personal enlightenment. Sometimes what we learn is that we have entered into a particular relationship based on parts of our shadow self, the parts of us that we have denied or neglected. Once we recognize that and begin to work to heal those parts, that relationship is no longer necessary. There can be this fantasy that if I heal this in me, then I will heal this in the relationship. And sometimes when both people are committed to that work, change does happen. But most of the time what I see is one person doing that work, but not the other. And usually that's a sign of an early attachment wound that the person working is doubling down on their inner stuff to save the relationship. But they're actually trying to fix an issue that probably began with an early caregiver. Underneath it all is often an abandonment wound that wants this painful situation to have a different, happier ending. And so they continue to get re-traumatized in the adult relationship, see it as work they need to do on themselves, and then back into the snake pit they go. This can keep someone mired in an abusive relationship. This is the paradox at the heart of this truth. Relationships with others do mirror our inner world. However, this does not mean we have any control over others by doing our inner work. Yes, we may have an effect on others around us, but we cannot predict or control what that effect may be. The goal is to be so safe, so steady, so loved within yourself that you can withstand whatever others bring to your doorstep. That leads us to the final big question. How do we know when to let go? There's no one right answer to this because each relationship is different. But my advice to this is look to your body. If this is a close friendship or partnership, then make it a point to check in with yourself every time you hear from them or interact with them. Write down how you feel using sensation words and try to avoid getting lost in a narrative or a story of how things went. What you want to know is, how does it feel in your gut 
to see a text from this person? How about your heart? What happens to your breathing when you're around them? And how does that compare to how you feel when you're with other people? If you look back over a week, say, and see that the majority of the time that your sensations were unpleasant or uncomfortable around this person, then it's time for space. That does not mean that the relationship needs to end. It just means that you are in an unhelpful cycle and only some time away will break that pattern. Step away with kindness and love and let them know you'll come back when you are calmer and more grounded. And then give yourself all the time you need to go inward. Work with friends or with a counselor or therapist if need be so that you can get clear on what's going on inside of you. And after all that, if you go back to the person to share what's going on, get their input, and things still don't change, you still feel that awful feeling in the pit of your belly, you still feel hollow or deflated or small, then it may be time to step away for good. You'll still have plenty of inner work to do from that relationship, but you don't need to keep the relationship to heal and find your inner peace. Trust me, the world will continue to give you what you need to grow and become the best version of yourself. You don't have to throw yourself into the fire to get there. So we've just covered a lot of ground, and I'm really hoping that this resonates and makes sense to you. And if you are interested in working with relationships as a mirror to the self, um, here is a little exercise I'm adapting for that work. I'm taking it from Byron Katie, who is a wonderful teacher and whose work I highly recommend you investigate in depth. Just look up Byron Katie, The Work, and you'll see that she has a whole worksheet, and it's freely available, and it's really powerful stuff. But one part of her teaching is that of the turnaround. It's her way of getting at this mirroring effect between self and the world. And in a turnaround, whenever you're feeling something towards somebody else, like you feel attacked or you feel like someone was cruel or you feel like someone was thoughtless or whatever is coming to you in that moment, how can you turn that around to the opposite? And how might that still be true? So for example, if I go back to the grocery store and I say, that woman was mean to me. She's so mean. Well, like we discovered, how am I mean to me is the more helpful question. How is there a part of me that turns against me, makes me wrong, and makes me hurt? I have control over me and my inner experience in a way that I will never have control over her. So when we find ourselves in stories, it can be helpful to turn it around. 
So now's the time to find a comfortable seat if you like. And this will be a more active meditative process in that we won't be going really deep into meditation, although I highly recommend you integrating this into your practice if you have one. Just find a comfortable seat, feeling yourself settle into the body, letting the mind quiet. And then I want you to get specific. I want you to think of a particular example of a situation where you felt really strong emotions. You were in conflict with someone else. And instead of getting lost in the story, I want you to see if you can pinpoint the essence of what you're saying about their behavior, how you're telling yourself they are treating you. Let's say if someone ghosted you, if you're dating and you had really great connection with someone and they ghosted you, what's the story you're telling yourself in the shortest possible way of phrasing it about their behavior, how they treated you? They are thoughtless, perhaps. Find the situation in your life. Distill it down to how you describe their actions. And then, very gently, with curiosity, always with playfulness and curiosity, turn it around. How do I treat myself in that way? Where is the part of me that also does this to me? This can be a very uncomfortable process because we want to judge ourselves. Perhaps we feel shame, embarrassment, or defensiveness even. I didn't do anything wrong. Perhaps this comes into our mind. Just being very gentle and careful with yourself. How do I do this to myself? How can I learn about me because of their behavior? And if you're willing to take it one more step further, I want you to ask yourself, how do I do that to them? Is there a way in which I'm behaving like they are? Is there something within my own world my own sphere of influence that I can change 
so that I don't continue to perpetuate something that clearly causes suffering. It's not always the case, and there may not be an answer for you there. But when we're sitting with conflict, and we're sifting and sorting through all the feelings and the stories, it can be very helpful to ask ourselves, how do I do this to me? And how do I do this to other people? What can I do to stop this pattern? Thanks again for joining me, everyone. And before we close today, I just want to remind all of you beautiful people out there that this podcast runs on your questions. And I would love to hear what's challenging you these days. If you could sit down right across from me and ask about the most difficult thing in your life right now, what would you say? In doing this show, it has become clear to me that for every individual question I receive, there are hundreds of other people dealing with a similar issue. By asking your question, you open up the possibility of relief for yourself and for many others. I love this work, and I would very much like to hear from you. Send me an email at askawayfinder at gmail.com or leave a voice message at area code 434-288-0965. You can also follow Ask a Wayfinder on Instagram or find me on Facebook at Dear Hawk Healing, where there are open threads for discussion of each episode. If you want to support the podcast but don't really have a question, please consider rating it in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm dedicated to producing a new episode every two weeks throughout the summer of 2020, and I need you to help me spread the word. This has been another episode of Ask a Wayfinder. I'm Dana Wheelis, and you can learn more about my work as a coach and a meditation teacher at my website, DeerHawkHealing.com. That's deer, as in the animal, hawk, as in the bird, healing.com. There's a contact form there on the website uh, if you'd like to work with me one-on-one. I help clients deal with anxiety, career changes, and I help them through all kinds of life transitions and I'd love to work with you. My thanks also to the Virginia Audio Collective, the podcast network supported by University of Virginia's own radio station, WTJU, for their support of this podcast. And because this is true all of the time, but especially true in 2020, be kind to yourselves, y'all. You deserve it.